Welcome to TechnoViews, a new series of interview videos and podcasts with major figures in the humanities and social sciences on topics at the intersection between technology, society, and culture in Asia and the world. My name is Joseph Bosco. I'm an anthropologist at Washington University in St. Louis and the Chinese University of Hong Kong. The subject of today's podcast is China's solar energy. Our guest today is Dr. Edwin Schmidt, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Oslo, Norway. Hi, Eddie. Welcome to TechnoViews. Hi, Joe. Eddie has a bachelor's degree from University of Washington, Seattle, in Chinese language and literature and in economics, an MA from Oregon State in applied anthropology, and a PhD from the Chinese University of Hong Kong, where he wrote his thesis on environmental consciousness, which included examining the issue of air pollution in Chengdu, China. He is currently a member of the Airborne Team, based at the Institute of Cultural Studies and Oriental Languages at the University of Oslo in Norway. This interdisciplinary team has collaborated with scholars at Tsinghua University, Zhejiang University, and Oregon State University to examine air pollution in China from multiple perspectives. Eddie's postdoctoral research has primarily focused on the historical role of energy institutions in China and what that means for air pollution. So, Eddie, please tell us a bit about the research project you're working on. So, uh, uh, when I was doing my dissertation work, um, uh, certainly air pollution was a big topic uh, in Chengdu at that time. And uh, I wanted to find a way to try to explain some of the, the features that I found really important for trying to explain air pollution. So, I wanted to really get into where the ideas of kind of environmental, uh, sorry, economic development and uh, environmental protection came from. And I wanted to find something that would be pretty basic and had a historical context. Uh, and so I was looking at the way that energy institutions in China uh, developed all the way from 1949. Uh, and then I wanted to follow that uh, up to the present um, in the, the 1950s uh, up to the 1970s. I've been looking at uh, the importance of coal-fired power plants for driving and uh, economic development in China, uh, and uh, I wanted us to to then see how that transitioned into the reform era. But I also wanted to look at a new kind of energy development um, that would draw in this discussion about uh, environmental protection, which hydropower back in the 1980s, in particular, uh, had a very strong environmental uh, aspect to it. Um, but I've also noticed that there seems to be something that's changing about this with regard to the introduction of solar power. Solar power seems to be um, almost utopic in a way, in the way that it's uh, presented as the, the cure-all solution for China's energy problems. And of course, it has this very strong uh, environmental protection uh, discourse that surrounds it. And so uh, all of this is trying to get at the idea of how um, energy institutions have both uh, developed the air pollution problem that we have today, how they're kind of responsible for the air pollution problem today, especially through coal-fired power plants, but how they're also supposed to be the solution, uh, as solar power is supposed to give us an alternative to coal-fired power plants in the future. Right. Very good. So an article in Nature magazine in early February reports on Chinese state media saying that uh, China wants to be the first country to launch power stations into space that capture the sun's energy 
and beam it back down to Earth. The advantage of the space-based stations is that they could catch the sun's energy before some of it dissipates in the atmosphere. They would also be more stable, uh, a more stable source of uh, than, than ground-based stations because they could avoid fluctuations due to weather, seasons, or night. Now, according to state media, the power stations would have photovoltaic cells to capture solar energy that is then transferred to antennas that transmit microwaves or radar on uh, to Earth. Receiving stations then convert the microwaves to electricity. Now, this concept apparently is not new, and it's been examined by the U.S. and Japan. So what's new here? Yeah, the, the thing that's new here is that China is actually doing it at a, at a much larger scale. They're really going to try to scale up um, some of the previous uh, attempts uh, to transmit, from sp- trans- transmit energy from space down to Earth. In the past, uh, both the U.S. and Japan were using the wireless uh, power transmission and also lasers. China has really shifted much more to this wireless power transmission using antennas and huge radar dishes. Uh, to try and capture uh, these these energy signals. Most of this work uh, that I've seen so far is really coming out of the Chinese Academy of Space Technology. There's one professor in particular, Ho Xinbin, um, who has really begun uh, some of this, this uh, foundational research around 2006, but by 2011 he had an enormous amount of state funding and a lot of support to try and make a real prototype system that could easily be scaled up at an economic scale. And the prototype project is going to be built in Chongqing, and they expect that the R&D stage is, is going to last until about 2035. And then uh, they expect that between 2035 and 2050, there will be kind of this initial commercialization stage. I also want to point out real quick that these time periods are not a coincidence. 2035 and 2050 are very much wrapped up within um, the Chinese uh, economic development discourse that, that Xi Jinping has actually been promoting uh, over the last few years, that um, we're going to have uh, new stages of uh, well-being and economic growth uh, between 2035 and 2050. Um, so this space station is very much fitting within that kind of a, of, of a mindset and a, and a development pattern. Did, but did this, um, did the attempts by Japan and the United States, were, did they fail or did they think that they were not economic? What's, yeah. what? Yeah, that's that. It, as far as I know, most of the attempts so far have not reached a level of uh, economic profit uh, that have made it viable to actually put this into a, a scaled up process. Um, but I would say, though, um, that uh, most likely, these other countries are going to start doing these projects as well, especially as China China's uh, project becomes more viable. They will become competitive because this is supposed to be uh, a, a viable option for the future. Uh, yeah. So, do international scholars actually? I mean, is this is this considered viable by the general, you know, the scientific community, or is? Yeah, very much so. Uh, there's been a lot of papers that have come out. Not necessarily the technology that the Chinese are using. There's there's other options that, that other people have looked at. But the idea of building solar-powered space stations uh, above the Earth and beaming that the, the energy down is definitely something that, that is very well accepted within uh, the scientific discourse, for sure. Okay. So and how does this fit with um, the other research and efforts surrounding solar energy in China? Yeah, uh, so... Right now, uh, China's main focus is definitely on uh, concentrated power, concentrated solar power plants. Um, uh, 
definitely looking for um, a way to try and create continuous power generation as an alternative to coal. Um, that's a big problem with solar power because, it, you know, if you don't have sunlight, obviously you cannot have uh, the electrical generation. And uh, most of the ways that people have looked at uh, trying to deal or trying to cope with this problem is through storage, energy storage. Uh, so you have to see these big battery projects that have been developed by Tesla in Australia. China has a lot of these new storage uh, projects. In fact, I actually just helped uh, a group at Tsinghua kind of edit uh, a white paper about uh storage, uh, energy storage projects in, in China. Um, another point that I think is important to realize is that these kinds of mega projects are supposed to help China resolve its climate goals. I mean, they, they've definitely made climate uh, a, a large part of their economic development uh, policy focus. Um, but I think one key thing to note is that uh, at least the literature that I've looked at, all of these power plants have to be able to generate, these space power plants have to be able to generate at least uh, two gigawatts of power to an individual antenna, uh, so to, to an array mm -hmm. uh, on the ground. So it is a risky venture, uh, but I think they believe that uh, the payoff will be big enough as long as they can reach that two gigawatt uh, amount. Um, and then uh, I think the reason that they, they find it so interesting goes back to this, this issue that you were bringing up about Japan and U.S. They see themselves as being able to be the first provider of a, global so of a new global source of energy. Um, so they want to be able to set platforms up all around the world. They want to be you know, the next GE, in, in a sense, uh, and sending you know, the solar power back down to Earth, and they want to be able to do it faster and more, you know, uh, more competitive than the United States or Japan. So uh, another goal that, uh, that, that China has is to try and move to 15% uh, non-fossil fuels by 2020 and then 20% by uh, 2030. Um, and that one of the parts of that goal is, uh, one, one aspect of that goal is to use uh, both concentrated solar farms and then distributed solar. So concentrated solar farms we just talked about, they're usually quite large, and most of them are based in uh, Qinghai, uh, Xinjiang, uh, Neimanggu in, in certain instances, but they're, they're primarily out in the West. Um, <clears throat> distributed solar is uh, quite literally a, a small solar power project. In fact, they're not supposed to be any bigger than about uh, 6 megawatts in size. And the whole idea is that uh, they're consumed by the, the the power that's generated from these projects is actually consumed by the in, end users. But then the, whatever's left over from the generation is sold to the grid uh, uh, at a at a you know somewhat of a market based price. The problem with this is that um, you have to use something called a smart grid technology in order to do this because. Uh, the market prices have to fluctuate to a certain degree, so you have to use uh, a certain kind of, of autonomous technology that can get the power onto the grid in, uh, at the right time to make sure that it doesn't overload the grid. And then it also uh, needs to be able to calculate appropriately the amount of power or the amount of reimbursement that you should be given uh, for the amount of power that you sell to the grid at the market price on that day. It's actually quite... Uh, a, a, pretty difficult technology to develop, but China has gotten very good at that. There's actually a lot of uh, smart grid technology that is definitely first rate uh, around the world. Um, so uh, this is a technology, though, 
that is very difficult to do if you don't have an open market uh, for energy uh, buying and selling. You mean, you mean a free market? That's right. Essentially, yeah. you need to have a, 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 a freer market than yeah. what they have now because right now it's heavily subsidized. It's heavily uh, controlled through quotas. Um, and so that means that, uh, you know, that's going to have a major impact actually on the way that um, markets and regulation develop in China over the near future. Um, so that's something that I think we should, we should uh, keep an eye out for. I've read that China has built these giant solar farms. Um, are they providing a significant levels of power now? And is China really an innovator in this? So, yeah, uh, China does have uh, these massive solar power uh, projects out in uh, Qinghai and uh, Xinjiang that uh, I was just uh, mentioning. Um, they, uh, they certainly provide uh, a significant level of renewable energy. Um, so right now... Uh, uh, the IEA uh, in about 2016 was mentioning. What's the I? Sorry, the uh, International uh, Energy uh, Agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, it, they in 2016 recorded China as producing about 75 gigawatts of, of solar uh, photovoltaic uh, power. Um, that's a drop in the bucket when you look at the overall electrical generation. Uh, because coal is about 4 million gigawatts mm-hmm. of uh, electrical uh, generation. Um, uh, now, if we look at uh, solar in terms of uh, concentrated ver- versus distributed solar power, um, concentrated, of course, these large power plants are, you know, they're the lo- they, they soak up the, the largest amount. They're about 64% of all solar is generated at these large plants. But there's also about 36% that's generated through these small distributed uh, solar power. Um, now, uh, they are innovating uh, in terms of ways to develop these distributed uh, power plants. Um, it, they've created a lot of innovative technologies in terms of these kind of small, cheap solar power cells that you can kind of mount onto, uh, apartments. Um, it's not to say that the United States or, or Japan or, or Europe isn't, uh, trying to innovate in this way as well. I would also say that actually in terms of, in, like, you know, really new material science, um, I have a friend at the University of Washington who actually tells me that, uh, in fact, actually, the U.S. is still driving most of uh, the new material science for generating electricity through through solar power. Um, that China generally is using kind of older technologies, um, silicon-based technologies that have kind of hit a plateau. And uh, there's a certain energy efficiency level that they pretty much maxed out. Um, and so people are looking to uh, two different directions. One is, is there any other material out there that can absorb sunlight, transfer it into electricity at a much higher rate than silicon? And then number two is, is there a, a material that's out there which uh, is easily recyclable and or could be somewhat like a biofilm and could even be, uh, you know, kind of uh, used as like a fertilizer source in, in the future? So, but a lot of that research is actually being done in the United States. It's it, There is some that's being done in China, but... The, the projects that I know of are mainly um, in MIT and, uh, yeah. But this is still cutting-edge, experimental stuff, not practical. Absolutely. And, in fact, I would say that most of the more um, economically viable uh, research that's being done is probably being done in China at the moment. Yeah. Okay. 
So in many parts of China, like in Zhejiang, even in the early 2000s, it was common to see solar water heaters on top of ordinary mm -hmm. farmers' homes. Mm -hmm. These were mechanical, what's known as evacuated tube water heaters, and they heated water for showers and bathing. They were not very expensive. I've read that China is number one in the world in water heating capacity, and in terms of the capacity per capita, China comes seventh with uh, 213 kilowatt thermals per thousand people. Why have these become so common in China and not elsewhere in the world? Do, do you know, are they common throughout China, or is it something that's regional? Yeah, it's very regional. Uh, I mean, uh, it's probably spread out a little bit more uh, in recent years. They originally uh, were quite popular in southwest, southwest China and north China, which makes sense because of the climate um, and the access to sunny days. Um, Xichang, uh, from my own experience, uh, uh, kind of an ethnographic anecdote, uh, Xichang and Kunming were probably um, the types of cities where if you got up high enough uh, and you could see rooftops, you would notice that every single apartment building in the city was pretty much covered with these kinds of solar water heaters. Um, but I would also say that uh, throughout China, it's more of a rural phenomenon. You really, uh, they were really quite popular with with rural households. One of the the things that's been fun to do with the, the because this project that I've been doing is much more historical. Um, I've actually been able to kind of trace the uh, development of uh, solar power. Both, I mean, it obviously originated with kind of these water heaters, but uh, also photovoltaics has also been kind of an interesting. Thing to look at how it was uh, developing in China. And a lot of the science around solar water heaters was done in collaboration with rural communities uh, in southwest China. Um, and so the scientists, of course, were you know doing experiments in, in the countryside. Um, it wasn't just stuff that was done in the laboratory. Uh, they, were, they were actually working with communities. Um, now, one thing that I find interesting, I, I mean, I don't have any like uh, quantitative data to prove this, but I've talked to um, a couple of researchers in Norway who have done a lot of interesting work on distributed uh, solar power um, where they don't really have a good explanation for why a household would decide to uh, take a risk and invest in distributed solar on their on their house. Of course, it's going to pay back, but actually the payback could take, you know, at least five years, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. even longer, depending on how the subsidies adjust and things. So uh, one of the things that, that I've kind of been putting out there as an idea is if rural households had a solar water heater in the past, they're probably more likely to be interested in uh, switching to kind of distributed solar and having electricity generation at their house as well. They see the benefit of solar power because they've lived with it for a long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So th they see that as, as similar technology, yeah. even though they're... In a sense, they're very different. That's right. They don't. I don't think that. I mean, they 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 probably know that it's different, but because they have uh, an understanding of the way that solar power works, they actually can see the benefit from it, and they really trust that it's going to bring them money in yeah. the end because it saved them money. Right. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, distributed solar power only contributes what a small. Uh, percentage of the total energy supply mm. uh, for China. So what was important about uh, distributed solar? Right. So, I mean, uh, it, like we said, it was a drop in the bucket for solar overall. And even that, it's only 36% that, that actually is uh, distributed uh, solar power. But um, I, like I said, what's really interesting about this is that smart this technology requires smart grids and that requires an open energy market. So that means that uh, we're going to have to force solar we're, we're, if we ha if, if China decides to actually have an open market system, that the the purpose of that is to allow solar to compete with coal, right? Mm -hmm. And 
I mean, in a way, that's essentially going to force the coal industry to face the music. What's it going to be like? What is a coal industry in China going to be like without the subsidies that help prop it up since 1949, essentially? Um, it might not be profitable. Uh, and uh, that could be, in some ways, it's going to... It's going to require a bit of a transition period because there's also a lot of people who are working within the coal industry and those people are not going to be able to easily transition into say the distributed solar panel uh, industry. Um, so this is a gradual transition but I think that the fact that China is promoting uh, distributed solar which means that they're promoting an open energy market means that this is the direction they want to go. Um, and so that's why we need to be paying attention to it. Uh, it may take a while before it kind of explodes and, and uh, comes to replace coal, but I think that uh, we have to realize that these are uh, institutional changes that are happening um, and has a lot of uh, major implications for the Chinese market system. The, the Chinese government has been accused of subsidizing solar panel manufacturers, and many argue that sub the subsidies are unsustainable. A press report said yesterday, last June, China surprised everyone by announcing that it would not issue any more approvals for any solar, any new solar power installations in 2018 and would also cut subsidies. Why is this happening now? Yeah, uh, I'm not quite sure uh, what this article is. Um, it, it, it's quite interesting because, um, in fact, just last month, uh, they had already announced uh, guarantees for 25 gigawatts of solar power, uh, another 10 to 15 gigawatts uh, where companies would be competing for subsidies. That's something that's been uh, common over the last few years. Um, and then there's another 5 to 10 gigawatts that are guaranteed to support the rural poverty uh, programs that Xi Jinping has been promoting over the last few years. Solar power has actually uh, been somewhat of a boon in that regard. It's supposedly really helped uh, some communities uh, make money and get out of poverty. Um, although I think that it would be really beneficial for someone to do some in interesting ethnographic work actually on those projects if they'd be allowed to. On what specifically? What what aspect of the project? Well, it, it, you know, the energy companies like to kind of self-promote that um, they're building power, solar power uh, panels on rural people's homes, and that's helping those communities uh, pull themselves out of poverty. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to seem too skeptical. I mean, I, I think that it, it makes sense, but at the same time, uh, I've never seen any like real um, empirical data to show uh, to what degree people are becoming. Uh, or how, to what degree their poverty is being relieved by these solar panels. Uh, I think that that's, that's an empirical question that's worth looking into um, because it could just be kind of a, a lip service or a type of propaganda that... Uh, marketing. Yeah, it's a marketing tool. And, and it's also a way for these companies to help protect themselves from uh, excessive regulation. It makes it seem like they're being patriotic. It makes it seem that they're um, fulfilling the goals of the party. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a smart move uh, on their part, I think. Um, so at any rate, though, I, I think that what we're looking at is at least a total of 40 to 50 gigawatts uh, of, you know, potentially subsidized, uh, you know, uh, increasing number of um, solar panels for 2019 alone. Um, if really they're planning to, to cut the subsidies, uh, that would be a shock to the system, but it did happen last year in 2018. Um, so we'll just have to kind of keep our ear to the ground to, to see what happens. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, this actually uh, reflects on an issue that I've been having in researching solar panel or solar power to begin with. Um, it's not <laughs> it's not easy actually to find very accurate and verifiable information about uh, solar projects in general. Uh, if you're allowed to go and do interviews uh, with uh, solar power companies um, or with um, uh, energy uh, institutions in the province of, say, Qinghai or uh, Xinjiang, you would probably be able to find some pretty accurate information. Um, a lot of the companies, uh, you know, they tend to keep a lot of the information within kind of business reports. Those are not always uh, public access. Uh, you'd probably have to write them and ask for them, and they don't always hand them out. Um, and so it's also not as accessible. For instance, like when I was doing research on coal power or hydropower, there's lots of yearbooks and uh, materials that you can go to that are specific to those energy uh, sources. As solar power has not really developed that kind of uh, of a uh, source book or that kind of a handbook to to find this kind of information. So you're really dependent on kind of the media sources, and it just seems like it's very uh, it's not very uh, yeah, concrete, and it's not not always very accurate. It seems to be changing all the time, but that's true of the market in general. I think the market of solar power is is uh, very much in flux, and it's uh, not a very easy market to kind of put your finger on. So it seems that the solar power as idea is kind of utopian in, in a sense. Mm. And I'm just curious, is it, uh, is it being driven by the companies themselves, by the government, by both? What, what would you say? Well, actually, I would say that one of the interesting things is the way that energy media uh, is driving kind of that utopian uh, ideal. I mean, we could say for sure that uh, you know the the Chinese government has a bit of influence in the Chinese uh, in Chinese energy media, but it, it's really quite uh, astounding to me just uh, the the level of um, praise that uh, is put out there uh, for solar power. I, I don't want to seem as if um, you know solar power isn't the solution. It certainly is. Um, but, uh, in, in some regards, I think there is a lot of hype that's been built up and that's also why the market has kind of exploded around it. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see in the next few years, um, whether or not they can kind of keep up that pace. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I think uh, it's possible, but do you see any, any downsides, any negatives to solar power? Well, I, I think that there's a, there's been some research in the United States that have been looking at kind of the environmental impact of, of solar power. Um, in particular, the impact towards, um, uh, well, small species of animals in uh, the desert. Um, I haven't seen too much on uh, plant impa impacts to plant life, but it's mainly about small animals and uh, how there's, you know, there's a sudden uh, increase of shade uh, on the on the ground. Um, and so that's had an impact on lizard populations, bird populations, uh, insects as well. Um, uh, so that's one impact. Obviously, I think uh, a, a large uh, issue that I don't know well is the uh, the recycling aspect. How do we deal with these silicon-based panels after they've uh, uh, run their life course? What do we do with them? How, how do we recycle them? Um, there's also um, the issue of producing them as well. They're, the production process is not necessarily uh, all that environmentally friendly. And I think the other issue is the dependence uh, of the current uh, concentrated solar panel uh, 
projects that have they're, they're they're definitely dependent upon storage. If we do not have uh, battery storage, that means that these projects are are going to you know they're basically going to be wasted all of the energy that they they can generate, and that's an issue in itself. Um, because some of that power that's been generated hasn't been allowed to to be put on the grid. Um, but these uh, batteries are also an issue. Uh, how do we recycle them? Mm-hmm. Um, their production process is also very uh, detrimental to the environment. So there's also a lot of research that's being done in that regard as well. How do we create environmentally friendly batteries? How do we make them uh, based on biological principles where they could just be recycled into into the uh, the earth? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're still a long way from that in terms of economic viability as well. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Dr. Edwin Schmidt, postdoctoral fellow at the University of Oslo, Norway. And thank you for listening to Techno Views. Very good. Thanks, Joe.